Greetings, Asbarians. It's so good to have this opportunity to talk directly to you through our chapel program and our ministries at Asbury, not only to our students, faculty, staff, but also our friends all over the world who are enjoying uh, thinking with us about this coronavirus and just walking through the church year as we are in this time of the year and sharing these services with us. Although we are uh, separated in many ways from our normal gathering, it's still important uh, to hear from Asbury and what, what are we thinking theologically and biblically about all of this in ways that you won't get in your normal state briefings about COVID-19. I wanted to say a word before I look at our text uh, this morning. I want to say a word about uh, our young people. Many people that are watching this now are in the young person category, our students particularly, and I just want to say a word of encouragement to you. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, on the uh, TV and on radio and other outlets that the uh, the web about uh, criticizing young people because they are going down to the beaches of Florida and they are uh, not violating all of the uh, the gathering rules and space distancing, etc. And I and that is a bit, obviously a huge concern that we have, and we want to assure full compliance. But I also want to say that it's not uh, appropriate to, to just paint the whole generation with a, a brush like this, because it's also true, and this is important to remember, that it is young people, it has to be young people who are volunteering all across this nation in various CDC tests of the various uh, anecdotes and the potential vaccinations for COVID-19 that can only be done through young people who volunteer to receive this virus in order to develop a vaccination. And that's happening and will happen through young people. So it is true that young people have been the source of much of the spread of this. It's also true that young people, your generation, will be a big part of the solution to this. So I want to just encourage you and thank God for all that you're doing for this as well and will do. I also want to um, look at our text for today because Psalm 121 is a text I want us to look at and I want us to reflect on how this could help us to think better about the coronavirus. Before I read this text, let me just uh, say a word about it and then we'll pray. Psalm 121 is a part of a larger collection of text, uh, 15 Psalms, known as the, the Songs of Ascents. These are those beautiful pilgrim songs that Israel used as they made their way from wherever they lived up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was always up because it's on hill, a hill. And they would make their way and they would sing these songs. And even during exile, they would sing them in times of pain, remembering uh, those journeys. Those are dangerous, arduous journeys. And part of these beautiful 15 Psalms is remembering that. And so we're going to begin by uh, prayer. And they were going to read Psalm 121. Let's please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this time together to look at your word. May you use it to penetrate the hearts of those who are gathered uh, digitally around the world through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 121, hear the word of God. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. But hold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. 
The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. And this psalm was written at a time when they were traveling up to Jerusalem, and it was a very, very uh, difficult and arduous journey. And the opening line of this psalm says, Lord, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? From the great questions of Scripture. Now, to understand this, you have to realize that the ancient Israel really had two associations with hills, and it's important to know both of these. On the one hand, hills and mountains were known to be dangerous, and it was a place where robbers would hide around corners and crags of rocks between and, and various crevices and come out and rob you and steal you and hurt you. And so a journey in the ancient world was always a dangerous one, and they understood that in the ancient world. And so the mountains and hills were associated with danger. So to travel to Jerusalem, you were taking your life in your hands in order to go and worship. Think about that. You were putting your life on the line to go and worship in Jerusalem because a trip from your home to Jerusalem was not an easy one. And so the ancient Israelites understood that. But it's also at a time when the, the mountains had other connotations in Scripture. They also understood the mountains the way we do as well, to be a place that displays God's grandeur, displays God's handiwork, God's power, his, his solidity. So, you know, Psalm 19 uh, is a declaration of the, the goodness of creation, the creator order, the beauty of the majesty of the mountains, etc., and so both of these connotations play out in Scripture. And so I want to mention both of these uh, in this short uh, meditation together. First, a place of fear. Uh, mountains is a place of fear. It reminds a lot of what it's like to be in this time that we're in together. In some ways, the coronavirus is like a mountain that we're having to climb. In fact, if you go and see any of the television broadcasts or the web uh, discussions, Probably the most familiar sight is the picture of the famous virus curve or the coronavirus curve. And it shows you the point when the, uh, the disease has a first initial transmission in a state or a country and it goes up into a heavy, heavy curve. And then you get your maximum number of, uh, of uh, infections. Eventually, you begin to see the downward curve outside. And the whole nomenclature is to flatten the curve. And that's what social distancing is all about. That's what this uh, Kentucky safe at home is all about, is about flattening this curve, lowering this mountain. We do have a global crisis. And even in the United States right now, if you're feeling alone or isolated, you realize there's 80 million people who are right experiencing what you're experiencing, including me. I'm here speaking to you from my own home. It is a challenge, a big challenge. And so last night, uh, 8 o'clock, we had another uh, announcement here in Kentucky, in which mirrors many of you around the country and the world, where retail businesses are closed that are, that are non-essential. It's further restrictions, and it's going to be challenging for us and to, in order to get through this. How do we talk about this? Because we are experiencing this curve and we don't know. Part of the, 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 the ardor of this journey is we don't know how long this journey will be. We don't know how high this mountain will be. That's why they're trying to, to flatten the curve. So just like the, the mountains were a physical little danger, so we 
can, can conceptualize the coronavirus like a mountain, a mountain where we have unexpected dangers. Here at Asbury, uh, just like the ancient Israelites made their journey to Jerusalem, in the same way, we have actually conceptualized our formational journey as a, a journey, a trek through the mountains and hills. That's how we actually show it on our website. And we have uh, little pitfalls. You can go to a first aid station and get relief or help. But you know, we never have a first aid station for something like coronavirus. We hadn't thought about it. We didn't know about it. So here we're facing new challenges that we had not faced before. And we're asking God to help us to get through this journey together as the people of God. Just as the Good Samaritan came along and helped that person in need that had been left uh, beaten and half dead on his famous journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. So we need to stand by each other and, and help each other in this midst, in, in the midst of this time together that we have. Because we believe that we're also going through a journey together as a community. We are as very strong. We will face this together as, as a people and as a, as a community of believers. We're going to walk through this journey together and we're going to help. But I love the way Psalm 121 answers this question. They look out at the hills, both the danger of it and the glorious beauty of it, and they ask, from where does my help come from? And what does the Word of God say to them and to us? It's one of the most decisive, remarkable uh, answers to, to, uh, to this question in the Bible. It answers, our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He is the one that stands by us and helps us in this time of need. Life is filled with unexpected things. It's filled with things you hadn't, couldn't possibly anticipate. Things happen. Life can wound you. And part of the life catechesis of the coronavirus is teaching us that life can throw us curves. And God will use this for His glory. He is already using it for His glory. There are people that have no interior life at all who are forced to stop. They would go out every night to bars and clubs and because they had no interior life. They didn't know how to sit and stop and reflect on the great things of God. And this is forcing people to take time to stop and think. And some of them in the night will turn their thoughts toward the things of God. There are people who have no purpose and meaning and direction in life. And for many people, you must understand the, the, the unbelieving world, there's no greater enemy than just the enemy of normalcy, where everything kind of just rolls on day after day. And every now and then, God steps in and shakes things up. And that shaking, shaking all those things that can be shaken so that only that which cannot be shaken remains is one of the great fundamental truths of Scripture that God does every now and then as an act of grace shake things up. And I've called this repeatedly in these messages, this is an act of disruptive grace. Sometimes grace comes to us in smooth and comfortable ways, but more often than not, it comes in disruptive moments. God meet, meets us in means of grace when we're up in the air, when we, we, we turn to Him because we're not turning to our normal resources. And that's happening all across uh, this, this world. So I love this answer. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then in this uh, chapter, this psalm, six times in only eight verses, it talks about how God keeps us and helps us. 
My help comes from the Lord. And listen, as he will not let your foot be moved. And listen to the repetition of the word keep. He who keeps you will not slumber. That's in verse 3. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That's verse 4. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. And then verse 7, twice, the Lord will keep you from all evil. And he will keep your life. And finally, in verse 8, he will keep your going out and your coming in. Now, this is a word in the Hebrew, the word shamar. In all of those verses, it's the exact same word. Some book, some translations will, will, will change and say, you know, keep and watch and guard. But it's the same word. He is watching you or keeping you. Now, what does it mean for God to keep you? Now, this is a very important question, especially if you're feeling anxious, you're feeling uh, just uh, unsettled about this whole time. Well, in Scripture, not just this text, but in all of Scripture, if you look at the word keep as a whole, it means that God keeps his people in two ways, and both are very, very important. The first way that he can keep you is he by, he can keep you by delivering you out of difficulty. That is to say, there are endless challenges that we face that we don't even know we, 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 we didn't even know we were, they were coming our way, that he protected you from. So God can deliver you from an evil. He can protect you from this virus, for example, so that you will not get that. But he also, throughout Scripture, he protects us in the midst of. He walks with us through something. So at times, like, we have to face difficult challenges. We're now at this Kentucky home uh, order. We have a lot of challenges all across the world this is happening. And this presents a challenge. And God walks with us through this. Someone in our community, in our larger, maybe your family network, may be diagnosed with coronavirus. Very, very possible this could happen to us. Someone you know yourself or someone you love. God can keep them and walk with them through that as well as deliver you from that. That's the great thing about Scripture. In fact, remember Psalm 23 where it promises us, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Son of delivers us out of things because he walks with us through things. And even in that same Psalm, it says that he prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So God will, will serve us, uh, protect us, uh, guard us, provide for us, even in the midst of uh, the challenges that we're facing. Well, the church throughout history has faced this challenge and similar ones in, in many, many amazing ways. Uh, you may not know this, but Martin Luther in the 16th century also lived through a horrendous plague that happened right in the heart of the Reformation. And one of my uh, favorite letters is one that Martin Luther wrote during a plague. And it gives us a lot of um, appreciation for what it was like in the 16th century to face a plague and how you would go through it. And one of the things that Luther said to his friend, he says uh, to his friend in the letter, he says, you know, he's, I ask God mercifully to protect us. And he says, but I will also fumigate and purify the air and any medicines that I get, I will take them. I mean, it was amazing. This was Luther saying, I trust in the Lord, but it's kind of his version of saying, you know, I'm going to wash my hands, keep social distance, and not touch my face or eyes. And so in other words, he was doing what he knew in those days, things that would protect him from spreading the contagion. They understood 
there was something about certain ways that it could uh, spread. He also said in that letter, I'm going to avoid uh, places or persons where my presence is not needed. In other words, non-essential activity. He, Luther said that in the 16th century, where I could become contaminated, or he said, harm others. So Luther actually is acknowledging that, you know, even though you're a young person and the chances of you uh, dying from this if you're young is very, very low, but it's very likely you could be a vector for others. And so Luther acknowledges that even the 16th century, that he would self-limit his, his, his movements in order to help others that were in need. This is like, I guess, Luther's version of social distancing, or I'm not going to go on spring break to Florida, essentially is what Luther is saying there. But then he also says this. He says, if my neighbor needs me, I will go and serve my neighbor. His point being that the Christians never exempt from service. There are times where we have to put ourselves in positions because the, 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 the situation demands it. There's crises that demand our attention. There's people here that are serving, I think especially our healthcare workers, who are, are many more times likely to receive uh, the virus because of their position of service. In some ways, that's symbolic of the church itself. The church, uh, because we're called to service, we also are called uh, to put ourselves in sometimes situations which we would not want to be in. But Paul uh, Luther concludes the letter by saying, but if God should wish to take me, he knows where to find me. So at the end of the day, we put ourselves in God's hand. We, we live in faith, not fear. We take all the precautions, but we also live our lives as Christians as we continue to walk in the world, even if we do it in a safe distance with caution. So always, this psalm keeps us, reminds us to live our lives in God's hands and to live our lives in a way where he will keep us and let God show us, reveal us how exactly he chooses to keep us uh, through this time. And we know one good thing. We know there is no COVID-19 in heaven. Praise the Lord. We know there's no coronavirus in the presence of God. We know there's no death or dying in the presence of God. He even wipes every tear away. So we have this great hope that really changes the way we walk through this world. Because we do not live in a world that does not have risk in it. There is definitely risk in living this world. And you cannot eliminate all risk. But we do live our lives in faith. We live our lives in hope. And live our lives knowing that the Lord is our helper. The plague of Cyprian was probably the first pandemic that the world ever known. Uh, epidemiologists often cite the plague of Cyprian. At the time, it was called, you know, the the, the great. Um, uh, oh, they had different names for it. I'm trying to think of the name of it, but they now know it as the plague of, of Cyprian. It was called the Great Crisis or something. But that plague uh, started in the year 249 and went to 262. It's 13 years raging through the Roman Empire. Can you imagine it? We're thinking about months. They're thinking about years. In its height, uh, 50,000 people per day were dying. And it went on another seven or eight years outside of the Roman Empire. It was over 20-year plague. And it was known later as Cyprian's plague because Cyprian was the one that led the charge for Christians responding to the plague. And he did so much to help uh, uh, today looking back on that time, made observations about the, the plague and how it spread. And it was really almost, you might say, the birth of, 
uh, epidemiology in terms of how we understand the spread of contagion that was happening that very, very early period in the third century. So the Christians, though, were not only known for their contribution to the scientific advance or understanding how disease and viruses spread, but also the remarkable way that God used that horrific plague to transform. People were observing how Christians interacted with the dying, with the suffering, those in need, and people were turning to Christ in great numbers. As I said before, people will, during this time, they will see in new ways their need for God, the frailty of life, the need to trust in Him, and they will turn to Him in many new and fresh ways. So we return in conclusion to the opening question of this great Psalm 121, one of the songs of ascents. Where does my help come from? You see, they also viewed the mountains and the hills as a place of refuge, a place of hope. And I want to end with this word of hope. Because I said earlier that the mountains were not just viewed in negative light. They were also viewed in a positive light. The psalmist sees through the eyes of faith and he sees that something, no, not something, someone is able to deliver us. The Lord is our helper. The Lord is the one who, from whom our help comes. And the Lord is the one and his presence transforms every mountain, whether it be a mountain of fear in your life or even the majestic mountains that inspire us and give us awe the way they did the ancient world as well. He is the Lord of every mountain. And you, of course, know from your own knowledge of Scripture that our forefathers and our foremothers in the faith, they look to hills as a sign of God's glorious presence, because God's presence was the, the, was the source. He met them on so many mountains. Remember, for example, how God met Abraham on Mount Moriah? He provided there the sacrificial substitute, Isaac. That was the birth of the substitutionary atonement, which we cherish so much today, that came and was fulfilled through Christ. It came at a time of crisis where God met the people of God on Mount Moriah. God met Moses on Mount Sinai. We're told that they were trembling with fear and it was lightning and thunder and even earthquakes. Yet God met Moses on Mount Sinai and there he gave us the law and gave us promises because that's the kind of God we serve. God met Elijah on Mount Carmel and there in that time of crisis when People had gone to idolatry. And by the way, there's no greater crisis than a culture turned to idolatry. And ours, that's the greatest contagion in the world today. Much greater than COVID-19. People who worship false gods. And on that great day when God met Elijah on Mount Carmel and demonstrated that he indeed is the true and living God, that's another great mountain. God met them there. And of course, we know that Jesus met us on the Mount of Beatitudes, and he taught us the ways of the kingdom. Jesus himself met us on that great mountain of transfiguration, and there on the very threshold of his passion, he revealed to us his true glory, and that God's greatest strength, 
His greatest power is revealed through weakness. And ultimately, of course, Jesus Christ revealed himself through Mount Calvary, that hill called Golgotha that he climbed for my sake and yours. It's this time of year that we remember that great story, the story of God climbing that mountain. That is the great mountain that in some ways conquers every other mountain. It would be a mountain of your fear or the mountain of COVID-19 that we need to see flattened. He can flatten any mountain because he's flattened that great mountain of sin and death through climbing that hill called Calvary. So yes, we are facing a mountain. We don't know how high it'll be. We don't know how long it'll be. But we climb it together. But most importantly, we climb it with Jesus Christ. He is the one who climbs with us. He is the one who's climbed that highest mountain. There's no greater mountain than the one he climbed for you and for me. Asbury, we can face hard things together because Christ is on this journey with us. We are not alone. He transforms every mountain. So we look under these hills. We look under this mountain. From where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord and God of every mountain. And I pray that, Lord, you would send your grace and your mercy and your power right through this camera out into all those who are hearing and listening to this message, both in our Esbury community and our friends and ones that stand with us around the world. Bless them, comfort them, guide them. We thank you. You are the God that flattens mountains, whether it be a COVID-19 mountain or it be the mountain of our own fears or anxieties, because you have climbed mountain after mountain and you've met Abraham, you've met Moses, you've met Elijah, you've met all of us on these mountains, that you show us your grace there. Show it to us again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you all. Thank you.